Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. The Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles in chapter number 33. 2 Chronicles chapter number 33. We've been marching through and now finishing up this series of the lineage of Jesus Christ that we're tracing for through 64 different generations from Adam to Jesus Christ through his kingly line. And as we go through, we're finding ourselves going through many of the Judean kings or all of the Judean kings and doing a character study on each one and learning more about them. Remember that as we study the Bible through its characters, everybody's life teaches a message. Everybody. Some people teach a bad example. Others teach a good example. But you could learn from everyone's life, that everyone's life can be summed up and be brought to a principle. What is their life about? What is it that they gave their life to? What is the example we can give? Well, as we've studied through, the last king that we studied was godly King Hezekiah. And if you remember, godly King Hezekiah had actually raised the bar of what the example was supposed to be. That beforehand, it was King David that was always the bar to measure themselves about their relationship with God and how they ruled and the things that they did. Hezekiah raised that bar up and he became the person that was being compared to compared to his walk with the Lord and his righteousness and ruling as a king. Well, his son Manasseh is next up. And let's learn about his son Manasseh starting in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and notice with me if you don't mind in verse 1. 2 Chronicles 33 and verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. But did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places, which Hezekiah his father had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balaam, and made groves, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served them. Also he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said in Jerusalem, Shall my name be forever? And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dwelt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. And he wrought much evil in the sight of God to provoke him to anger. 
And he set a carved image, the idol which he made, in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in the Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, would I put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of king of Israel, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. And if in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a very interesting phrase that we see about Manasseh in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 33. 2 Chronicles 33, and notice with me at the very end of verse number 13 where it speaks about Manasseh. Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. God. And with the Lord's help, we want to do a character study on Manasseh's life, and we want to see what God did to bring him to himself in this account, in this story. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Lord, you're a God who's we learned about earlier as a God who knows us, he sees us, you seek us, and you save us. You love us so much. You're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And I'm so thankful that we can count on this and depend upon you and trust you. I'm asking that as we open up the Bible and learn the history and the life of Manasseh, that we could see the details, see it clearly, and then reflect on how good of a God that you truly are, that you're able to save to the uttermost. I'm asking that you would give us grace, give us clarity, and let it be a help. Again, fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you would do a work today that maybe we don't even realize is being done, but we could trust you to do a work. Fill me with your precious spirit. Order my thoughts and order my lips. Order my tongue. Order the words. You set them in order. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as now we take the Bible and we study King Manasseh, the first thing I want to show you here is the abominations of the heathen. The abominations of the heathen. Now, we had studied before that King Hezekiah was a godly king. In fact, he was one of the top bar kings that instead of looking at David now, everyone was now compared to Hezekiah. How did they line up in their walk with the Lord? Well, you would almost expect that King Hezekiah being such a godly king, you would almost expect that his son would follow suit. However, 
King Hezekiah had an incident that happened 15 years before he died. That 15 years before he died, God sent Isaiah, the great prophet, to go to Hezekiah and say, Put your affairs in order. God is going to take you home. He's going to end you. You're going to die. Well, Isaiah turned and began to walk away. Hezekiah, being a man of prayer, immediately went to God and started praying and said, God, please, can you spare me? God, can you give me some more time? God, can you please work? And so much so that as Hezekiah is praying, Isaiah is going outside the castle, going out into the courtyard, taking a step, and God says, all right, Hezekiah prayed, go back in there and tell him that he's got 15 more years. So Isaiah turns back, goes up here and says, God heard your prayer? You have 15 more years. Now that's an important date. 15 more years. If you don't mind, notice with me in verse number 1, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter number 33 and verse number 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Now remember, how long did God extend Hezekiah's life? 15 years. Manasseh was born in this 15-year period. In this 15-year period came Manasseh. Well, you would say, all right, well, God extended his life. He gave him some time to go. What happened? Well, what happened is that what happened to a lot of folks as they get older. That Hezekiah made a mistake and he showed the king, the princes and the rulers of Babylon all of his stuff. And that Isaiah was sent to him again and said, listen, what'd you do? Well, I showed him all my stuff. What are you doing? You don't realize what you just did. He says, because of what you did, that Babylon is going to come and they're going to take your sons and they're going to poke out their eyes. They're going to make them eunuchs. They're going to drag them away. And Hezekiah's answer was this, which shows how he was raising Manasseh in the first place. Good is the word of the Lord as long as there's peace in my day. You see, Hezekiah had gotten to the place where he got tired of the fight. And anyone who raises kids, it's a fight. To try to keep them to do what's right. To try to train them to do what's right. To try to continue to go on. Usually it happens something like this. I don't care what music my kids listen to. I don't care what they watch. As long as there's peace in my house now. But you see, there's a trade-off. It's peace right now in exchange for heartbreak later. And there's going to be a huge heartbreak. Here's a principle here that we find. That you can't stop fighting. You can't stop trying to be a parent. You still got to be the parent. In order for them to be raised right. And to be follow after God. You have to follow godly principles. You can't let up. You can't say oh well I'm going to let them turn out. I'm going to let them choose what they want. I'm going to let them follow. As long as I have peace now. That's a big mistake. And we see that carried out in Manasseh. Because Hezekiah had already gotten to the place, as long as there's peace in my house. I know that Manasseh is a terror. And I know that God has given biblical principles about how to raise the kid. But I don't want to fight. I don't want to go through the hassle of making him obey. I don't want to go through the hassle of making him do what's right. It's just too much. As long as there's peace now. And now we come to a child who now becomes a king. And we can see it carried out. That what happens, the principle we find in Manasseh's life is because he had a dad who lifted up his hands and said, I don't want to fight. I'm going to let you do whatever you want. 
what happens is that child takes it a lot further and says, fine, I'll do whatever I want. I'm not going to serve your God because why should I serve your God? If you don't obey your God, why should I? You see, what we do in moderation, the next generation does in excess. If we're not willing to follow God, why should they obey that God? You won't follow. Why should they even serve Him? And we see this carried out time after time after time after time. If you won't obey your God, why should I even follow your God? And so we have Manasseh who wipes his hands of the God of his fathers, of the God of Manasseh, of the God of David, the God of Solomon, and says, I got my own way of doing things and I will be fine because God is not real to me. I know that he's somewhere out there, but I don't care what he says. I'm going to do my own thing. And so we see what happens to Manasseh. Notice with me in verse number two. But did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So here's Manasseh, who starts reigning at 12 years, and he reigns for 55 years. By the way, that is the longest reign of any Judean king. 55 years. He's the ruler. And what's his reign like? I don't need the God of my dad. My dad didn't care. I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I'm going to dive right into just like what everybody else is. And he dived into the abominations of the heathen. What kind of abominations? Notice with me in verse 3. For he, Manasseh, built again the high places which Hezekiah his father broken down. Let's pause. Remember that when Hezekiah became king, he went on purpose to destroy all the false places of worship. He destroyed all the high places. Remember the high places are uh, in people's mind that the higher that you were, the closer you were in God. That if I can get closer with him in location, I'll be closer with him in fellowship. So I could build up the high places. I could go to closer where the gods were. And they would set up little shrines and little altars and little worship sites. Notice again, and he reared up the altars for Balaam. So he built up altars to an antagonistic God. Remember that Balaam was the thunder God. It was his job to bring down the rain. Let's pause here. Why do we have polytheism? Poly means many. Theism is gods. So polytheism is the worship of many gods. Why do you have the worship of many gods? Because of the belief that one God is not enough. That one God is not big enough. One God can't do it all. So I have to break it down into different functions. So this God's in charge of this. Maybe he can handle this. And this God's in charge of this. Maybe she can handle this. Let me tell you, our God is big enough to handle it all. And he could take care of it. And so Hezekiah, or his son Manasseh, undoes his father's work and begins to build up an altar for Balaam. Then notice this, and made groves. You say, well, what's wrong with groves? Well, remember in the Bible, groves are not a good thing. They are places of worshiping nature in sexual activities. And so he builds these places where people can worship these false gods using sexual acts. Not a good thing. And he worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. What does this mean? He says, you pick a God, any God except for that God, and we'll serve them all. We want to give them equal time. We don't want to be 
inclusive. We want to be exclusive. We want to make sure that everyone is taken care of. Let's worship them all. There's nothing wrong with it. Hey, the Assyrians taught us there's more gods. Let's learn about them. The Syrians, they have more gods. Moabites, Edomites. Hey, let's add them all to the mix. Let's have them all included. Verse number four. Also, as if that wasn't enough, also he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord said in my name, in Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So what happened here? Listen, the service of just one God, well that offends some people. Some people are left out. We don't want people to left out. We want to make feel like they could all come in here and no one's offended. So let's just have all the gods in here. So, you know, instead of just having a cross, you know what, let's put a little statue of Buddha right here. And let's go ahead and put a, a Hindu symbol over here. And let's put this symbol over here. And let's make it so that way everyone feels included. Everyone feels welcome. There's nothing to offend it. We don't want to put labels on the place. You could serve whatever God you want to. We're just going to have a good time, have good fellowship, sing some uplifting songs, get encouraging message. Why not? By the way, did you know that there's such a thing in America called the Atheist Church? That there are places, Nashville has one, where they said, we like the songs. Well, because they don't say about Jesus anymore. And we like uplifting messages and we like fellowship. Well, let's have a church where there's no God mentioned. Why not? We want everyone to feel welcome. And so here's Manasseh who takes God's house. Who God said, this is where everyone knows where they can meet with me. And let's make it so everyone feels welcome. Let's change everything. Let's make it so that way no one's offended with what is going on. Verse number six. It gets worse. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Let's pause here. Now remember, Jerusalem is built upon hills. And as a city is a couple hundred years old, there are some logistical things that you have to take care of a city, including trash. What do you do with trash? Well, they have no department of works. They don't have uh, a place where they haul away trash. So someone got the bright idea one day. Well, let's just throw trash in this valley. Great. So everyone in the city began to throw their trash in the valley. Well, after a couple hundred years, the trash is just piling up. So someone came up with the idea. Well, let's burn it. And so it became an everlasting burning trash heap in the valley south of Jerusalem, which is called the Valley of Hinnom, named after a, a man by the Hinnom and named for his sons, the sons of Hinnom. And then what he did is he said, you know what? Other gods get worshipped in different ways. And so what he did is he replaced something that his grandfather had done before, or his, uh, yeah, his grandfather had done before, and put a grotesque statue of a demon's face. And he put a slide into the demon's face. And behind the slide was the trash pit. The fire that was continually burning. And what Manasseh did is he took his newborn babies. And he rolled them down the slide. Into the mouth of the open grotesque demon. And would burn his own children alive. In an act of worship. Now, because of this, 
you don't want to hear the baby's cry. Could you imagine the screaming of the child going down this warm slide into a fire and hearing it? And so what they did is that they began to, at this time, bang on drums and bang them loud. Uh, so that way you could not hear the baby's cries because that would break your heart and make you kind of reconsider this whole thing. We don't want to see the suffering of the child. Let's just block it out. And so it began to be called the Valley of Tophet, the banging of the drums. And it was a place where they would have the percussion and banging the drums so loud to drown up the screaming of the child that would be sacrificed in the name of worship to a false god. No wonder God says, this is an abomination. Look at the things he did. He's taken my house and he says, let's worship other things. He's taking his own children and burning them in a trash pit to a God that doesn't even exist. And by the way, he did this multiple times. Notice as it goes on. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also, he observed the times. This carries the idea that he's using horoscopes. And there are people today that are caught up in horoscopes and astrology. Just let the stars tell their future. Even the former Beatle John Lennon, before he passed away, um, he would get to the place where if his horoscope told him not to leave his hotel, he would not leave his hotel that day because his horoscope would tell him. He became locked where his horoscopes told him what to do and what not to do. Even this idea today still exists of observing the times. And used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards and wrought much evil in the sight of God. Let's pause our spirit. Pause right here. Why is he going to these? Because he doesn't want to go to God. Because if he goes to God and get answer, goes to God to get power, goes to God to perform miracles, then he also has to submit to God. So he's going to go to another source of power so he doesn't have to submit to that God. Let me find somewhere else that has power. By the way, there are other sources of power out there. We don't deny that. There are other sources of power. But why go to those? Because I don't want to submit to God. And so he chose these other things. He went purposely to these other sources of power. Notice as he goes on at the verse 6. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. That word provoke to anger is usually used for the Israelite kings, not the Judean kings. But it carries the idea, the word provoke carries the idea of taking a stick and poking it into a cage with a lion in it. Poke, 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 poke. Poke. Now, if that lion gets a chance, do you think it's going to be happy with what's happening? No. It's kind of like a brother and sister. You got a brother or sister that's learned to provoke. Poke, 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 poke. By the way, when you're provoking someone, you're doing it on purpose. You don't accidentally stick a stick into a lion's cage multiple times on accident. You see, Manasseh realized there was a God... But he purposely said, I'm not going to obey you. I don't want to obey you. My dad obeyed you. I'm going to do my own thing. And so on purpose, he did those things. He knew that God would not be pleased on, on purpose to provoke God to anger. There was a denial of who God was. I don't want to obey God. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need God. And everything he did, provoke, poke, poke, poke. Now he's not getting a good setup. Notice verse 7. All of this is dealing with the idea of the abominations of the heathen. 
Notice verse 7. And he set a carved image, an idol which he made in the house of God, which God had said to David and to his uh, Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, shall I put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel out of the land which I have appointed your fathers, so that they would take heed to do all that I commanded them, according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, here God is saying how he's re-emphasizing how important it is that God's house is dedicated to him. Instead, Manasseh is replacing all these things. By the way, in the 20th century, we saw the same thing done in Nazi Germany. In Nazi Germany, by law, you could not have a cross. They all had to be replaced with a swastika. That by law, that when you had a baptism, they weren't baptized into Christ. They weren't baptized into the church. They were baptized into the Nazi party. By law, all churches had to comply with this. That you couldn't go and see a cross. You had to see the swastika. And they replaced the symbol and people still went to church and said, it's all right. We're just trying to be good Germans right now and trying to do what we're supposed to. And there was a replacement that went in. Here's what Manasseh is doing. I don't want you to serve God. I don't want to serve God. I don't want you to serve God. Let's go ahead and let's replace God out of everything that we have. And let's not worry about the name of God, the name of Christ. Let's just knock it all off and let's not make reference to it anymore. Anytime that we get a chance to knock off the name of Christ in anything, let's just exit out and replace it. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 9, as God summarizes what just happened. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Now notice this, the testimony that he had. That he made the children of Israel to do worse than the heathen out there. What does that mean? That the heathen were looking at these so-called believers, people of God, and say, we wouldn't even dare dream of doing that. Can you imagine taking your precious baby and rolling it down into a trash pit on fire and say that you're worshiping? We wouldn't do that. What are they thinking? It's always amazing. That if you go to a person who doesn't go to church, someone who doesn't claim to be a Christian, someone who's not saved, and you ask them, how is a Christian supposed to live? They can tell you. A Christian's supposed to go to church. A Christian's supposed to read their Bible. A, church, a Christian's supposed to pray. They're supposed to forgive others. They're not supposed to drink. They're not supposed to smoke. They're not, they can tell you how a Christian's supposed to live. Isn't it amazing when people get saved and they start going to church that they forget all the stuff they're supposed to do? Oh, I don't have to go to church. It's kind of... Well, I don't have to read my Bible. They just forget. The lost people can tell you how a Christian is supposed to live. One of the reasons why we don't have influence is because the world is tired of hearing about Christianity. They actually want to meet one. And it's hard to find someone who actually lives for the Lord and does what's right and follows after God. And it gets to the place where Christians start doing some awful things that the world's like, if that's what Christianity is like, I don't want anything to do with it. If that's what believers are supposed to do, I don't want anything to do with it. 
it is pretty bad when God's people act, behave worse than those who don't even follow after God. And that's what happened here. Is that those who said, I'm God's people, are behaving worse than the rest of the heathen nations around them. Which now brings us to a second thing. Not only do we see the abominations of the heathen, but we see this, agreeing not to hearken. Agreeing not to hearken. Notice with me in verse 10. Now, you would almost assume that God would say, nope, wiping my hands off of him. Nope, nope, he's provoked me too much. But in verse 10, you see something different. We see that we have a loving God who's still seeking after Manasseh. After all the evil things that he's done, after all of the abominations, after all the things he has done and getting others to do, God is still seeking after him. Verse 10, And the Lord spake to Manasseh, And to his people. You know who's still alive right now? Godly king Hezekiah. Or Isaiah. Isaiah Isaiah who served Hezekiah. Isaiah who served Jotham. Isaiah who served Uzziah. Isaiah is about 90 years old. Can you imagine a revered, respected man of God come up to Manasseh and say, Manasseh, you're not following God right. You need to change your ways. There's still hope. God will forgive you if you would just repent. And there was a message. God spoke to Manasseh. Without a doubt, he sent messengers to him to tell him. Listen, God's not pleased with this, but God will still take you back if you would just come back to him. God was still seeking after him. But what was the response of Manasseh? But they would not hearken. You said, well... What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what that means. Isaiah's 90 years old. And he approaches Manasseh and says, Manasseh, thus saith the Lord, God is not pleased with your ways. Turn from your wicked ways. Come back to him. Seek after him. Just like your father did. Just like your lineage did. They sought after God. And Manasseh said, let me tell you what I'm going to do, old man. Arrest him. And they took 90-year-old Isaiah And they put him in a hollowed out log. And then what they did is they took a big handsaw on each side. And they cut the prophet Isaiah in half. And cut him asunder because he dared preach to the king a message that the king did not want to hear. That the king could still return to God. When it says that they would not hearken, that's a pretty emphatic point when you start killing the preacher For telling you to to return back to God. That's a pretty emphatic point. Which brings us to one last thing. The affliction to humble. Affliction to humble. So here is Manasseh. 55 years he reigns. And he is causing everyone to sin. He is causing everyone to turn away from God. He's trying to erase God's name from everything. God sends a preacher and several preachers to tell him the Bible. There's out a doubt Manasseh heard what the preacher said. He just didn't want to hear it. So he killed the preacher. But God's not done. Notice with me in verse 11. Wherefore. Whenever you see the word wherefore, you got to see what it's there for. So because of Manasseh being told the message and not responding. Because of everything Manasseh's done. Because he rejected what God had tried to do for him. Wherefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king 
of Assyria. Now let's pause here. The Assyrians were the Nazis of the ancient world. And that's not by exaggeration. That is an apt description. They were very much evil. The good kings or those that considered themselves the more moral kings were horribly evil. How evil were they? Well, the good kings, whenever they would conquer a city, they would take the heads of all the people that stood against them and build a pyramid out of their heads outside the front gate so everyone can see. We beat them all up. They couldn't stand against us. How evil were they? They would be known for filleting people alive. What does that mean? While people are still alive, they would peel the skin off of their victims. And then they would post their skin of the victims outside of the wall to say, hey, look, They couldn't stand against us. See what happens if you try to... That was the good kings, by the way. The good kings under their command would throw up the babies of the towns that they would conquer. And the archers would practice shooting the babies as target practice. And that was the good kings. I don't dare tell you about what the most evil kings of the Assyrian Empire try to do. These were very evil world empires. And so God sent the world evil empire, the Nazis of the ancient world, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. By the way, this is a thousand mile plus hike. He puts King Manasseh, King Manasseh, I don't need God. I got things handled. He's now in chains being dragged across the desert to Babylon. And notice what happens to him. Verse number 12. And when he was in affliction. By the way, this is not a light affliction. He's being tortured by the Nazis of the ancient world. This is not a good time. This is not a vacation. This is not something he's enjoying. This is bad pain. This is bad torture. This is awful things that are happening. But notice what happens. God is bringing a upon this principle for good. And when he was in affliction, he, Manasseh, besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. What happened to Manasseh? This Manasseh, I don't need God. I don't want God. I don't want his name around. I don't want to, I just want to make him mad. I just want to provoke God. When he's in affliction, he's in chains, he says, God, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I made a mistake. I should not have done those things. Lord, I need you now. I need you now. Here's great King Manasseh who humbles himself before God. We have a saying that there is no such thing as an atheist inside of a foxhole. You put enough pressure on anyone and they will ask for God's help. Over and over you see that. You put enough pressure, you put enough things in their life, they will ask for God. They will seek for God. Manasseh got his breaking point and he went to God. And he had enough of messages of God. Isaiah preached to him. Other preachers preached to him. You know, something we could be encouraged on is that God said his word will never return void. Sometimes you think that you're preaching to just the hardest person in all the world. And you say, it's never going to do any good. God will never let his return turn void word return void. What was Manasseh thinking about as he's getting tortured? You know what? I remember Isaiah telling me this. I didn't listen to it now, but God is bringing it back to his mind. I remember 
my dad told me this about God. Isaiah said about this. This other prophet said about this. And they started thinking about all the things that was brought to his mind. In verse number 13, and he prayed, understood that it was Manasseh, prayed unto him. He prayed unto God. And he, Manasseh, was entreated of him. That means that God answered Manasseh's prayer. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And heard his supplication. And God brought him, Manasseh, again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Think about this. Here's Manasseh for 50-something years. I don't need God. I hate God. Don't mention a God. Don't preach to me anymore. I'll do things my own way. I don't want to hear what my daddy had to say. I'll do it my own way. I'll murder my children if I want to. I'll do this. I'll do that. And he gets to the place where God brings him low. He's being tortured. He's being afflicted. He's gone through a horrible time. And Manasseh says, will you please help me? Now again, the things that I described to you about the Assyrian Empire, the Nazis, the ancient world, are they the type of people that sound like they like letting people go? Here, just go ahead and go home. This is a big deal for God to relieve and bring Manasseh back to Jerusalem to become king again. God answered his prayer. What was the conclusion that Manasseh brought from here? Then Manasseh knew. That means to know by experience. Knew that the Lord, he was God. You know, Manasseh was an evil, evil man without a doubt. Isn't it amazing that our God is so big and so amazing that he could forgive everything Manasseh did? You know what this means? Manasseh's in heaven. As much as the things that he did, God was willing to forgive him of everything. And Manasseh accepted the promises of God. He was forgiven and he's in heaven now. You get to go talk to him one day in the millennial kingdom and say, Manasseh, what was it like? And he would say, let me tell you, I was the chiefest of sinners. I was a murderer. I did all these awful things. I tried to get others not to serve God. But God forgave me anyways. That's how big of a God that we have. That's what an amazing God that we serve. Is that he's able to forgive to the uttermost. Some people will say, you don't understand what a sinner I am. Yes, I may not. But let me tell you what a savior he is. He's able to save and encourage anyone. Let me tell you, if there's anyone that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's the message of hope that I have for you. God is willing to save anyone, including you. If you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, that you've been forgiven of all of your sins, He's willing to forgive you of everything. But for those who do know Jesus Christ as your Savior, what hope do you get out of this? That God's word will never return void. You may feel like you're wasting your time giving the gospel. Telling someone to someone who's just so hard hearted. So religious. So set in their ways. Let me tell you that God is able to use the words. And still do a work. Now sometimes. We have to count upon the treasures of darkness. What is the treasures in darkness? It's a principle found in the Bible that the worst things that happen to us can turn to be the greatest things that happen to us if it brings us to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we go visit Manasseh in the millennial kingdom, do you think he'll be able to tell everyone that the greatest thing that ever happened to him 
was for him to go to Assyria and be tortured? Absolutely. Because it was there he realized he needed God and God saved him and he knew that God, he was God. Now, sometimes we have to surrender people. We have to take our hands off of people and say, God, whatever it takes to bring them to yourself, you please do. And God can do such things. If you could forgive the personal illustration, I'd love to give the testimony of my brother. And by the way, uh, he's given me permission to give this testimony. But uh, my brother and I were not raised in a Christian home. In fact, we were raised in a very much an abusive home. A lot of things went on. I was able to escape by joining the military at a very, very young age. And my brother was left behind. And my brother, because of bitterness and because of um, anger and the things going on and rebellion, he caused my parents lots of grief and finally quit school, did things on his own, got involved with drugs and alcohol. And my brother was a mess. And now he had made a profession of faith when he was 14 years old, but because of bitterness and because of rebellion, he was just far, far away from where God was. And of course, people would try to preach to him every time I went home on the military on leave. I would take the Bible and say, Brandon, don't you see what the Bible says? And he would look and say, yeah, yeah, I know I need to do that. The problem was he never made a decision to follow after God. And so on Friday night and Saturday, his friends would get to him. Hey, you want to join us with the party? Can you join us? And he would always go with them instead of do what he was supposed to. He was juggling girlfriends. There was a time I visited him. He had seven girlfriends all at once and none of them knew about each other. He was begging for trouble. He was waiting for that whole powder keg to blow up. Later on, as I was pastoring, we got a phone call that said my brother was in a serious car accident. What had happened, my brother was driving with someone on dirt roads in South Dakota and he wasn't driving and for once they were driving the speed limit but just hit a curve just right on a dirt road and the truck began to flip. Because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, he was thrown out of the car, but truck, but it was a process. The first rotation, he was halfway in and halfway out when the truck rolled over onto his back. The second rotation threw him out and the third rotation, he was already cleared. When they called me up, they said, you need to come see him quick. We don't know how bad the damage is. We think his back is broke. We don't know what type of damage. You need to come now. So we gather up my family and we're praying the whole way. God, do a miracle. We'd been praying for a while, the treasures of darkness. God, whatever you have to do to him, whatever you have to do, uh, we take our hands off of. You do whatever it takes. Well, God answered that prayer and worked. When we got up there, we were expecting the worst. They, at the time that they called us, they didn't even know if he was going to live. When we got up there, not only was he alive, but we just got there right when they were doing the test. And whereas his spine, the vertebra, the bones were crushed and broke, the spinal cord itself was not touched. And so the bones just needed to be healed. But because of that, he said, you know what? I need God. The way that I've been living has not been right. And now he is serving at a church in South Dakota that prints John and Romans. In fact, the John and Romans that we pass out, he had a hand in printing and putting together so we could pass them out. And he's serving faithfully in a church. What happened? The principles of treasures in darkness. And when he was afflicted, 
he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his father. And he prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and he brought him again. And the summary statement, and he knew that the Lord, he was God. You know, there are some people in our life that we have to take our hands off of and say, God, I've witnessed to them and I prayed for them. I have to get to the place, Lord, and it's the hardest decision you have to do to take your hands off of. Commend them to the Lord and say, God, whatever it takes to bring them to yourself, Lord, please do. Now again, that's a hard prayer because God will answer that. One of the hard time reasons we have a hard time doing that is because we don't want to see those people go through hard times. But let me tell you, if Manasseh didn't go to Assyria, he would not have repented any other way. My brother, I don't think there would be any other way for him to repent. He wasn't going to come naturally. But you understand there's hope, even for the hardest heart, because God is able to work. And in his affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Maybe you have, as we're talking about that, maybe you have a Manasseh in your life, a relative, a friend, someone nearby. They may be religious, but they're not saved. They may be fine where they are. They may be full rebellion. It may be just hard shut down. Maybe today you just need the courage to say, Lord, whatever you need to do, please do. Lord, I'm, I don't want to see them hurt, but Lord, I'd rather see them saved. I'd rather see them right. I'd rather see them following after you. Lord, whatever it takes the treasures in darkness that the worst things that happen could turn to be the greatest things that happen if it brings them to the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand that this is a heavy prayer to make. It's a serious prayer to make. But maybe the most important prayer that you'll make on their behalf, Lord, whatever it takes to bring that person to you, Lord, please do. Please do. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.